Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Benjamin. Hello, Josh. How's your break going? I'm sorry? How's your uh, vacation? Uh, your forced obsolescence from the Twitter universe <laughs> treating you? Uh, well, you know, I'm just doing things aside from Twitter. It's probably not a bad thing. It's just so obnoxiously stupid. I, I mean, to get to get suspended for calling myself a fan is it's just the living end <laughs> hey guys hey how's it going good how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good good day good to hear now um limpida mm-hmm. if you have a headphone it might uh be uh, optimal uh it's seems fine right now but you never know uh what zoom's gonna do okay yeah let me grab that right now what what are your philosophical uh background joshua all right josh, i mean uh like thinker that you not style yourself from but work off of if you consciously work off of a political theorist or philosopher of some sort i don't think i do um I, I mean, obviously, like every human on earth, my political philosophy is informed by things that people said before me. Um, yeah. But I, I have a lot more time now today for uh, libertarian and conservative thinkers politically than I than I had before. I, I didn't pay attention to any of them at all mm-hmm. uh, when I was uh, a leftist. Yeah. Well, you had... Uh... As a leftist, were you like a Chomskyite or oh, there, Foucault, Foucault? Foucault. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. Okay. I was in the cult, baby. Oh wow. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that that was uh, a lot of my undergrad was uh, post-structuralism, post-modern anthropological critique, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. You know, I don't have to give you any more detail. You know the entire story just from that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Limpita, do you have a uh, a philosophical basis that you're going toward or working from? Um, I am. So I started off uh, Marxist, like a, like a leftist communist type. Um, Part of that was informed by my family's experiences in the Eastern Bloc um, and comparing it to how we were living in the United States. Um, I was just sort of interested in it at first and then it slowly turned into an appreciation of it then college hit and it was like postmodern neo-marxism or whatever like i was calling myself a communist and everything even though postmodernism conflicts very heavily with like original marxism um and not like marxism leninism like original original marxism as marx and engels wrote it um because marxism leninism iffy on how it actually like follows the um 
heritage. Now I, um, I'm sort of well regarded among some of the anti-leftist Marxist types that are on, um, on Twitter right now. And I think that that's still how I perceive of the world. Um, so post-identitarian or pre-identitarian Marxism? Um, no, more, uh, well, sort of like pre-identitarian, I guess, would, would be the way to describe it. But it's, um, I guess the closest thing, like it, it's, it has more in common with like, like the far right than it does the far left. But it's not like, it's hard. It's kind of hard to explain without sounding insane, but. No, no. Is it like a Bronze Age pervert kind of stuff, but with Marx, uh, like communal bodybuilding instead of like individualist bodybuilding? Um, Not really. Um, The best way to explain it is the ruthless critique of anything and everything actually existing. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Are you that sure that's sounds... not feminism? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure it's not feminism. <laughs> no. Um, Marx, like, <clears throat> Marx at the time was, uh, Engels too, they were in favor of the feminist movements that were going on, but only, uh, like, privately they were against it. Publicly they had to be in favor of it. Um, and now that it has become integrated into liberal democracy and, and bourgeois society, it would be, it, it is heavily criticized by the anti-leftist Marx types. And it's different from like the post-leftist types that are saying, oh yeah, I was a Bernie guy now, but I'm just like beyond the woke stuff. This is a more, this is a much deeper um, critique of, of everything else than just like, I'm, I'm over, talking about race or I'm over talking about gender. It's not class first. It's trying to explore what class is and, and a ground, like a more grounded political analysis, uh, which means that I constantly should talk my own profession and my own class, so to speak, petite bourgeois manager, because I'm a teacher. Um, hmm. And it's made me very cynical, but I was already cynical. So it's fine. Hmm. Yeah. Ruthless critiques uh, can be pretty exhausting. Yeah. And yeah. It can, they can also tend to turn inward. I guess you're already expressing that because uh, you're ruthlessly critiquing your own profession. So, I mean, yeah. how do you keep that in, uh, in check? Um, I do the job uh, as best as I can. Um, as, as, however i'm supposed to do it um but i'm very much aware that what my job is is to indoctrinate young people and no matter what form that's going to take whether that's going to be with woke which i avoid by all costs or with um more conservative more libertarian expressions i'm supposed to perpetuate the political superstructure of our time um and i will do my best within that to explain to students to like look out for their own self-interest and not get clung not cling to just vacuous ideals um and to really try to think about what their 
actual interests are, but there's a limit to how much I can do that because they're already thinking in terms of like freedom and equality and liberty and diversity and everything, yeah. which are too vague to really like hammer down as like specific policy or specific needs or political interests. Well, aren't they also a little conflicting? Uh, yeah. Freedom and equality are not synonyms for each other. Yeah. And um, this is, <laughs> you know, I, 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 the people you're talking about, we, they don't understand this. They don't, yeah. they don't understand it at all. <clears throat> I didn't understand it for a long time. Yeah. They're, um, I mean, they're 14, 15 years old. So. Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, ed- I mean, education is in a really bad state right now. I have one student, he handed in a project to me on Friday that uh, like, it was a group project. It was supposed to be sort of like just a PowerPoint on early America. And the only thing that he did was color in a drawing of Thomas Jefferson that someone else in his group had to trace for him. What so, color did he make his skin? Your standard peach color. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even color in the tie though. Like he just did the skin. <laughs> it was sad. I have to mm. fail him. But wow. Are you even allowed to do that anymore? Can you, yeah. are you allowed so, to fail a kid? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not even his real teacher. I'm a long-term sub for another teacher. Um, but that teacher told me, listen, if you have to fail him, fail him. So. Josh, are you on a laptop right now? Yes, I am. Why? Uh, just to uh, ask to, to <clears throat> give yourself less headroom, just angle it, angle it uh, down a little bit. There we go. Well, uh, Helena's going to pop in as soon as we get going in earnest, so we might as well um, get going in earnest. But I have noticed, uh, Lampita, that you've been, I don't know if this is the correct term, but you've been dropping some based um, critiques specifically uh, toward feminism, or maybe even certain behaviors within feminism, um, and its relationship to gender ideology or its relationship specifically to young men's uptake of gender ideology. And Josh, you are not exactly not outspoken on this issue as well. So, um, and Helen has got some takes of her own too. So uh, I guess that's kind of like just the basis of where we're going to start. Like what one, I would like to hear the critiques and two, I would like to put something out there specifically for young men. Of a variety of uh, identities and proclivities with regards to ideology, but just you know some good ideas and some warnings, you know, for them to really kind of be more self-aware about how they conceptualize themselves as men in society. Um, but before we get to the good part, we can go into the uh, critique. All right, can we get don't don't stick your dick in crazy in? Um, does that apply to, is there, is there like a crazy hot access that, uh, the, for, for the gay, um, yes. gay bros? Yeah. Is yes. it pretty much the same? Uh, yes. Um, I think so. Um, when men, when gay men go wrong, psychologically, they go wrong in ways that look very female, not entirely, you know, it's because we're not women. Um, but you know, if, if you're going to look at 
a group of a group of men who you could honestly say a group of gay men who you could say looks like we've got some personality disorder coming on here. We've got some borderline. We've got some histrionic. We've got some narcissism. It, 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 in gay men, it looks very similar to what you would find among women. Caddy, competitive, passive aggressive, dishonest, um, triangulation, that sort of thing. And of course, those things are common to, those things are common to all people who use narcissistic abuse tactics, but they're, they are a specialty of the female sex. <laughs> what, what was triangulation? Um, when people maneuver people into chess roles, chess piece roles, you know, so they will try to bring in another person and say, hey, um, Josh has been doing these terrible things to me. And do you know what he was saying about you? And I just wanted to make sure you knew, you know, they, they've got to have somebody. It's the process of recruiting someone to, to help do their dirty work for them. Mm-hmm. Mary Harrington, who's a brilliant author, uh, she's targeting liberal feminism specifically. And I think yeah. her is some sort of techno-pastoralist. She, she thinks that there's some sort of like bridge backward with uh, current technologies, but the whole liberal project, she's pretty um, targeting pretty hardcore. And what she said on my channel a couple months ago was that everybody in the internet's reduced to female typical uh, strategies for conflict resolution uh, because it's all verbal and it's all reputational and there's no possibility or very rarely like a possibility of actual um, you know male typical explosions of violence and then a reordering of hierarchies uh, so i wonder she's right that's just something to keep in mind and how men adapt to that. I wonder uh, to what degree we can adapt positively to that. And, um, you know, I, you know, one, one supposes that there could be some sort of social code um, like chivalry or gentlemanliness or some sort of social ideal that we hold ourselves to, but we kind of do need to hold ourselves to that, um, you know, to a form of conflict resolution that, isn't just reputation, triangulation, um, self-promotion. Can we? Is that possible? Is it possible uh, right now, given the way things are right now, and we all know how they are on social media? Um, you can't, of course, as you say, it's not. Li it's literally not physically possible to use Twitter to enact physical violence. And I, I mean directly. Yes, I understand that you can stalk somebody. I'm not talking about that. Uh, you can't reach through the screen and punch somebody. Um, but since social media is, is it, it, structurally, it lends itself that the, the reputational kind of manipulation is native to social media. Um, I don't know how we can combat that. I'm not sure that we can, actually. I'm not sure that there's a code of conduct that even, even if we could solve the tragedy of the commons problem, even if we could get all men, for example, uh, to hew to a certain code we might propose, I'm not sure I think it would do anything. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Maybe it would. 
Well, there's a, an app. Um, well, I don't. There is an app called Clubhouse, and it was an audio only app. It got really big a year ago, and I think it's really tanked. But it was basically a bunch of chat rooms, and what eventually happened was that people would start doing struggle sessions, and they just rebooted Evergreen and reputational destruction and f- hyper inflating violence going on, you know, like he was uh, verbally accosting me, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, there's it's a great social experiment but at the same time it was kind of corrupted by the fact that people are egotistical assholes that are kind of vying for attention um and that tends to corrupt a lot of different rooms and and a lot of different relationships but even though that's standard you can still craft like good dialogue and you can craft good work and you can you know kind of spot that behavior and either avoid it or not allow it to take over but something like twitter which is just an open free-for-all where everybody can comment on everybody and there's this weird kind of shifting you know uh, ban hammer that might change when musk uh gets in charge of it you know like there's a content moderation of some uh sort that's kind of arbitrary but still we there's nothing to kind of hold us together there's nothing like it's not like a church service or like a 12-step meeting like it's just it's bedlam Uh, complete bedlam. So if we each voluntarily take on strategies to behave in a certain way, or at least to handle the app itself in a certain way by not believing in it with regards to how important it is in my own personal life to have a reputation there, or somebody's not actually hurting me when they're disagreeing with me or being rude to me, um, then that might, that might take, some of the pressure offer might kind of change the landscape a bit, but here we can actually get to a real conversation when it comes to mail D transitioners specifically, like where you guys are sending your, your voices out there. And in order to do that, you have to tell your story. You have to be very vulnerable and that attracts, it's really difficult to be vulnerable and also to be guarded at the same time. And especially if somebody's uh, going through some, pretty extreme trauma because they are processing uh, everything that you need to process for detransition, it, it's really difficult to draw that line in the sand and still do good work um, And in order to kind of lay groundwork for other uh, male detransitioners to find their way. Yeah. Um, so... What I've what I what I've sort of done and and I, I took a hard pivot and I think it's a noticeable pivot where I went from talking about my story and about specific stuff that happened to me personally and just started deconstructing the radical feminism, um, talking about the political events that were involved, um, changes to legal code, whatnot. Um and the reason for that is I've pretty much processed it already and anything I haven't processed I'm dealing with privately. I don't care to bring all that stuff out. Everything that I have put out is staying up for other people to see. I, it's been very useful. I still get messages saying like, thank you for all your writing and everything. Um, this explains how, you know, things that I went through, this explains things my kid went through, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't want to do that forever. And I think that a lot of detransitioners in general do that where they think that they have to continuously relive the trauma online and open themselves up to all kinds of interrogation. And I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Um, Because 
this requires a political solution, but no one's talking about the political problems. Hmm. Um, and well, it's not that no one's talking about them, but they're talking about them through these frames that led us here in the first place, like radical feminism. Um, and the thing that made me snap, that just made me make that switch altogether, is that no matter how I tried to placate these people, no matter how I tried to adopt their frame and explain my issues as a human being, um, as a young person, as an online addict, like no matter how I tried to, I was still getting interrogated. Okay. What role did porn play? What, you know, what was your vision of what a woman was? Like, was it, you know, all of that. And I realized like, if I said the wrong thing, they were going to trash my reputation anyway. And I stopped caring if I said the wrong thing. And I just started going after them and, and saying like, this is, this is why people retransition. This is why people stay hidden. This is why you don't see male tra- detransitioners. This is why they're all coming out now. And it's not accidental that they all started coming out after I made that pivot. Because It's crazy how they've all started coming out. Like literally within like a few weeks of you, there's just like fucking 20 people now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a couple of people have, have said like, you know, I think you're going too harsh. I think you're, you're you know, you're making an ass of yourself. Um, correlation doesn't mean causation just because they're talking now doesn't mean it's because of you. But I mean, like all that might be true at the same time. Now there is a space for men who have gone through this where they don't have to filter everything through the radical feminists, where they don't have to rely on them for their allyship or whatever. Um, and one of the ways I did that, I mean, like, it's still very feminine the way that I do it because it's still online. It's still all verbal. It's still just like shit talking and, and whatnot. And sometimes there's mobbing involved too, but like, what you and your bot I, army go after him. <laughs> not my bot army, but a lot of the ROGD moms just like constantly backing me up. Cause they're like, my son's going through this. This is one of the only guys talking about it. I don't care what else you have to say, you know, like he's telling the truth here. Um, like, even though it is still feminine because it's the internet and the internet is a very feminine social space, um, the way that I talk is just blunt. It's just direct. It's just go fuck yourself. Like, I don't, I don't care about any of that anymore. So that I don't know. I, I'm here I, I for it. Like, <laughs> and I feel like it's a more. I feel like that's like the closest you can get to a masculine way of interacting with people online is just like to not give a shit about the reputation and just say what's on your mind. You brought up a lot of really interesting um, things about um, the influence of radical feminism. <laughs> On here, and I think we can, uh, I think we can respectfully make a critique of radical feminism and how it's uh, influenced the current cultural moment around uh, a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now. We don't have to restrain it to transition and detransition, but I think um, I think people don't really understand that, um, and I'd like to hear your all of yours perspectives on its influence um, and its positives and its negatives, so we can uh, reform it um, if it needs to be reformed. I want to say hi, Helena. It's nice to see you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hi, it's nice to see you. Sorry, I'm over here like twitching because as soon as I logged on, a gigantic eyelash lodged itself in my eyeball and it hurts. <laughs> oh, ouch. So, 
Yeah. Fucking misogynist had, eyelash. Literally, literally. Uh, can't even have bodily autonomy against my own eyelashes, apparently. <laughs> Girl, fuck them lashes. <laughs> About to dump him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't we're, wait it's 623 and we're already gendering eyelashes yeah I guess well it is penetrating my eye right now <laughs> oh. yeah it's, it's so nice to meet you I mean I literally watch your show all the time and I, I love your spicy takes so it's great to meet you on this Mother's Day it well, is. It's Mother's likewise, Day. I'm I'm glad both both of you are two young people who are out there and actually telling the truth, and it's it's delightful. I feel the same about all of you. Yeah, well, I gotta uh, say kudos to Helena. Your Tucker uh, interviews at 2.5 million views at this point. Yeah, isn't that fucking crazy? That's pretty. Cool. That's why I'm like, I'm taking a little bit of a step back from Twitter and just focusing on Kiwi Farms, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Less drama for me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah. It's been pretty crazy. Like, uh, a pair, my mom, like, follows all sorts of, like, conservative people on Facebook. And she's like, wow, look, your video has been shared by this person. And I'm like, great. So, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. The, the Tucker thing has really opened me up to a lot of bullshit. But it's been good. Yeah, are you so we can tie that into what Lumpita was just saying about um, kind of crafting the message and, and filtering the noise. And I guess there's a, probably a lot of difference between what you're going through now, Holena, and what you're going through now, uh, Lumpita, because you're, you're actually contending with feminists, oddly enough. And Helena, who's who's uh, are you are you being targeted right now? I'm sure you are. But to what what group is it coming from or? Yeah, I feel like I no longer really contend very much with the feminists, but um, uh, yeah, it's mostly the trans activists now because they're kind of like, you know, I had a recent like this, uh, this streamer who I guess made a video about me or whatever. And that's how I started reading Kiwi Farms again, because I found his thread and it's like all this like totally total total cow but um so that guy was attacking me and then uh some like harvard law professor trans person was coming after me and just like accusing me of lying which doesn't make a lot of sense from facebook 2017 yeah 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 just i don't know just being really desperate so it's not it's not stressful in the sense that it's like oh they have something on me it's just like you know I'm the kind of person where it's like, despite what I do, I hate attention. And like, I'm, I'm pretty private, honestly. Like I don't really share a lot about my, my life on Twitter. And then, so when people are like going through my life, like that feels really weird. So it's stressful in that way. Josh, what are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm actually wondering, um, at, what date, you know, peg a year when both of you, Limpita and Helena, decided to detransition? How long has it been for you? For me, it's been almost four years. I decided to detransition in like February or March of 2018. I can never remember exactly when, but sometime around then. What about you, Limpita? 
I decided I was going to detransition sometime in the summer of 2021, and then I actually did it this January. Why? Um, for me, like, because it wasn't working. I mean, because, like, the treatments, like, I figured out, like, so May was when I had my big realization like i've been lied to this is all bullshit i've been you know brainwashed basically um and that it ties into like all these adverse like events in my life and and everything and um but i like i really needed to like take the time to let that sink in and i did all the reading i possibly could on on the phenomenon on like the outcomes on uh, I was reading um, some of what Helena wrote. I wrote, I read some of what Grace wrote. Um, I was trying to find different um, like D trans men to talk to too, which kind of wasn't a thing. Um, and then in the summer, I decided that I was going to detransition uh, in large part because I was going to have to start teaching like that fall. Um, and I didn't want to be trans in front of the kids, but I was not, like mentally ready to do it yet um because like the the big thing was like the the hormone switch i wasn't sure how i was going to handle that especially since like even considering that i was male just a, f- a few months prior um would have like triggered like suicidal thoughts and whatever because they tell you you're going to kill yourself if you're not on hormones and whatever so i like wasn't ready for it and then over the winter break for that for the high school i work at i just i just decided to do it what about you helena what made you decide to detransition yeah for me it was also kind of a long process of like dealing with denial um so like before i transitioned i identified as some version of trans for about three years and during that time, I thought like when I transitioned, it would be like this amazing fantasy, like I'm going to like become a cute boy and everything's going to be awesome. And that did not pan out. Uh, I like, you know, my life just kind of went downhill. I, you know, just got even more lonely and dysfunctional than I had already been. And then after I had to be hospitalized twice because of the the effects that testosterone was having on my brain just basically making me have um, extreme like rage meltdowns where I hurt myself. And two of those times, like I had to uh, go to the emergency room. And so after that, I just like the second hospitalization really made me think like, wow, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. This really sucks. And that kind of triggered me thinking like, something is really wrong in my life. Like, what am I doing wrong? And as stupid as it sounds at first, I didn't even really like associate it with the testosterone. I just thought like, Oh, you know, maybe I'm like smoking too much weed or something. Maybe I should try like quitting weed. Um, but then after it took a couple of months and then eventually I, it, it happened when I saw like a video of myself and it was like pictures of me from like different eras 
like since I started the testosterone and I just like saw how I changed from like this young, like girl with like the plump cheeks and like looking, you know, all hopeful about life to this like sallow, like sickly looking masculinized version of me. And I was just like, Oh my God, like this is fucked. So that was kind of the, the final, uh, thing that like really just broke the dam. And then I was like, okay, I need to stop taking the testosterone. I don't know how people can't see it. I, well, I think they do. I think they do see it. But what you just said about the sallow, um, unhappy looking, I mean, there, there is a quality to many of these young women mm. who are on testosterone where they, and I'm not saying this to be flip or glib, but they really have a, a living dead aspect about them. Their skin color is unnatural. It looks unhealthy. They, they look unhealthy. Even the ones who are like passing and they look more like like men, like there's yep. just something where it's like, I don't think that there I've ever seen like a trans guy that has like the the look of like a, a real man with who's healthy with vitality. You know, you just they, they at best look kind of like a, a sicklier kind of version of a man, but I've, I've never really seen one that looks really healthy. And it's like, how could you, you know, you have a female body. Your organs are being well, fed the wrong hormones. If Elliot Page can't pull it off and she's got access to the best yeah. makeup artists in, oh, it's in the, the, the worst. world. It's the worst. Best it's makeup artists, point. best uh, estheticians, best nutritionists in the world. Best and ab still, implants. Yeah, best ab implants. Yeah. Yikes. You can do that? But yeah, if, if Ellen Page can't even look. <laughs> you, you think she got that stomach from sit-ups, honey? <laughs> no how, how do how do they implant muscle tissue is this like they don't it's they like don't. uh it's like silicone like fake little little lumpies on the on the belly are yeah. you kidding and no. you can tell because it's like the rest of her body is like completely not developed at all but then she has like these like raging abs so either she's been in the gym just like you're pounding away on the crunches all fucking day and just ignoring everything else or She's had implants. Wow. Okay. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I didn't know that. Yeah. Marvelous. It looks really weird because, yeah, she's all like spindly and then she has just like these big uh, voluptuous ab muscles. Right. <laughs> Benjamin, it's like Klingon brow ridges, but under the skin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. See, now you get it. Yeah, I guess. Do I just they... don't know if they're comfortable. No, they're not. There's no way they Beauty are. Beauty hurts. Um, but there is, there's a guy, a trans guy on Instagram that sometimes shows up in my feed who he passes pretty well. He has this dorky hat that he wears. that's like fashionable or whatever. Um, but he got like a beard implant and what it like, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's head hair too. They just, oh, for Christ's and, sake. Yeah. Wait, um, does he have like the male baldness and then a beard? No, it wasn't the <laughs> okay. hair um <clears throat> oh i see yeah so so it's, it's it's head hair growing out of the cheeks and this yeah in men 
uh, natural natural men it, it's a coarser rougher thing it's not supposed to be yeah. <laughs> can you just imagine you're just like you're just like flipping your chin hair back and forth like it's so sleek and smooth it honestly looks like if it like if he grew it out it would be more <laughs> like, like a bob that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> is, it like, um, is that the thing from the Munsters? Am I mixing that? Are the Adams family? Yes, cousin it. <laughs> cousin it. But so like weird. Okay. But like it goes back into what Helena was saying. Like there's this like perf literally perfect beard, like perfect lines, everything. Never needs shaping. It's like uncanny. Um and his face is like okay, he has the developed jawline, he has the like he has the chin cleft and everything. Um and he, I mean, he looks pretty good considering everything. But when you look in his eyes, there's just nothing there. It's just sadness. It's just a complete, like, you can see that the person that you're looking at is not the person that's actually behind everything. It's it's mm. very disconcerting. Mm. That's, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. There is kind of, there is that uncanniness with, with people and maybe you don't notice it if you don't know that they're trans but once you kind of like know that they're trans and especially if you've seen pictures of them from before they transition like you can see there's there's kind of like a like a mask like a full body mask on people in a lot of cases Lampita, do you do you see that in photographs of you from that time or do you yeah. remember that feeling <clears throat> could you describe the feeling of uh like where you were at um the best way to describe it is convincing myself that I was happy because um, I wasn't happy and I thought that that would make me happy um, and it didn't. Um, I mean, it stopped like when I stopped my testosterone, I stopped having like a lot of the like rage problems that I was having. Not I wasn't like ragey, ragey, but I like, you know, anger builds up. Um, and like, when I got relief from that, I was just really ecstatic. Cause I was like, okay, it's like, it's gone. Like it's off, it's off my mind. I'm like freer to do other things. I started crying a lot more and, and that actually helped me work through some of what I had gone through. Cause the only other option was to get mad about stuff. Wait, um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I'm confused about something. You said a moment ago when I stopped my testosterone. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, so for males, um, so testosterone is a much more powerful hormone than estrogen is. Mm -hmm. So for males, the standard treatment is to take a testosterone blocker and estrogen at the same time. So he, he, okay. He so when you say when you say when I stopped my testosterone, what you mean is I stopped taking a drug that you you mean when I. When I blocked my testosterone. Yeah. When I okay. Yeah, my All right. Thank you. I'm sorry. It was just. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I blocked my testosterone, when I, when I functionally chemically castrated myself, um, I like that, that rage basically stopped immediately. And I was able to like get more in touch with deeper feelings that I had been suppressing. Um, and that did make me happier because I was having less of the like traumatic arousal all the time. Um, but like, I wasn't actually happy, you know, it was just me saying like, okay, this is what has solved all my problems. I have to keep going with this. And if I look at the photos from the time, like I was not happy before I was trans. I was not happy when I started socially transitioning, there was a smile on my face, but there was nothing there. Hmm. Then, um, 
once once I I start passing as a woman, um, or close to it, I like there was like a cheerierness there, but it's because I had been in in like serious trauma therapy and that was actually working, and I still was like ascribing it to oh I'm trans I'm on treatment everything, um, as it went on like the pain was growing because I could. I could tell something was wrong, but I was trying to ignore it. And then I finally, you know, detransition and all the life is back in my face and, and gestures and um, how I relate to people and everything. Like I'm, I'm happy to actually be alive again because uh, I feel alive again. Hmm. And uh, the traumatic arousals, do you manage those better? When I say traumatic arousal, I mean like, like flashbacks like I, I was having yeah um oh. i was i was having pretty bad fa- flashbacks um from a tra- uh, of a traumatic event or a traumatic time kind of thing um not like one specific one um from well from several yeah uh, from living with the cult um from things that went on when i was younger too yeah um and it was some of it was also because I was going like I had psychosis and OCD. Um, I was I was seeing I had very violent intrusive thoughts too. I was like I would I would imagine like um, if I were walking down a road and I'd see a store, I would imagine the store getting robbed in that moment, or like a SWAT team blowing it up or something. And I would just stand there with that like vision in my head and wonder what I'm supposed to do now. Um, hmm. and that was happening all the time. So, oh, wow. and it made it worse. Do we know what so. life is like in Michael Bay's head? I guess <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not the only one. I, I, I don't know. I don't say, I don't describe myself any longer as having obsessive compulsive disorder, but I did indeed have it and was diagnosed and treated for it. Um, it's, it almost, it's 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 almost completely remitted at this point but um yeah it it's like benjamin it's everybody knows the um they know the the stories about ritual behaviors like washing your hands repeatedly or checking the door or checking the stove and i had some of those but what people don't talk about as much are are the really grisly uh frightening and disturbing intrusive violent thoughts and they, they're not necessarily an indicator that you have some desire to actually enact violence. They're, they are intrusive. You don't want those thoughts, yet they come anyway. And Weirdly enough, I, I used to also really struggle with that more so when I was younger. I, do, I barely, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I experienced it at all anymore, but especially like it started when I was in middle school, I would just develop like a fear that I was going to like become something really bad. So I like, I remember one example was in in middle school, the first experience I had of this was I was watching like an episode of law and order SVU. And in the episode, there was someone who was like a necrophiliac. And I just got it into my head that like, I was going to grow up and one day, like realize that I was a necrophiliac. And I literally lost sleep over this. Like I would be lying in bed, like heart pounding visions of like this realization. Oh my God, what am I going to tell my family? They're all going to disown me. They're going to think I'm disgusting. In on like this this fantasy of of I realized I'm like a necrophiliac when I'm an adult or something. I'm not, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I had this. You know, I was a really anxious kid. Um, but yeah, so just kind of ironic that 
Well, I mean, you know, the cure for that, darling, is you just have to go work at a funeral home. <laughs> um, that, that's your tinder oh. <laughs> no it's so gross i'm normal now i promise well um, i i wonder what 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 does uh, the intersection if there's a commonality with this intrusive thought or this obsessive uh, thought because it, it sounds like it's a it's a powerful imagination that's uh exerting itself on on a person who's not able to work through another issue or something. There's, there's something kind mm. of rising up that's not being able to be processed. And then the imagination is kind of like, just like a dream state, just riffing on it and then externalizing in the case of violence onto a, onto a store um, where you're like, okay, if it's like a release of pressure um, that that's completely processed through the imagination. It's not a release though. Um, it, it, I mean, if it, if it, if, if that's the function that's underneath that, it doesn't complete its job because there's, there's nothing about that that feels like a release. It's, it's torment. And yeah. how did you, uh, work through that, Josh? Um, well, a couple of things and like, I, I, and I would say, I don't know, obviously, um, I don't know the biographical histories of Limpida or Helena aside from what they have shared publicly, uh, so I'm not making any statements about either of you two individually, but I will say that these kinds of psychiatric problems, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is, in my view, um, an extraordinarily exaggerated anxiety. I don't mean exaggerated like it isn't real. I mean, it's an anxiety disorder squared. That's what it is underneath. Mm-hmm. It's it's anxiety. These kinds of things, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, these are results of trauma. These are results of trauma, whatever your trauma may be. Maybe it's childhood abuse. Maybe it's sexual abuse from someone outside the family. Maybe it's some other combination of circumstances. Uh, But most of the people who present this way psychiatrically have a severe trauma background. So it is not weird or unexpected uh, for these things to happen. They do tend to cluster together. For me, uh, and I don't know if this is the answer. I don't know if it's the answer for everybody. Maybe it is not the answer. But for me, um, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac and Zoloft, um, were very, very helpful in pushing, uh, getting rid of the intrusive thoughts and the panic, panic disorder and obsessive compulsor, in my view, obsessive compulsive disorder are shades of the same thing. Um, maybe everybody doesn't experience them that way, but I did experience them that way. Um, and, and time does help too. The older you get into adulthood, um, merely aging does take does blunt some of this for many people. I have found, and the SSRIs are uh, they give you a break from that in order to do kind of more psychological work. You think, in your case, um, I don't. All I can uh, they stopped. They significantly decreased uh, the symptoms. Okay. Um, now I spent a long time during my adulthood, my young adulthood, not doing, not actually doing the work when I would skip in and out of therapy. This therapy that I've been in now for four, almost five years is the first time I've ever actually been really completely honest and have not seen it as um, a temporary balm to make me feel better during an emergency. So I, I should have been doing that all along, but I wasn't capable of doing that. Hmm. I just want to put that on, uh, highlight that, that 
you have to be ready for therapy. You might, you might even need pre-therapy before therapy can start to work for you. Sometimes you need to get bashed around more. Sometimes you need to hit your head against the wall more and have more, more horrible events in your life. You know, if you're like, or you need, you need to get out of your shitty toxic situations that you get yourself into that just completely have your thinking disorganized and your emotions all over the place and dysregulated. At least that's what I needed. Um, Cause I think, yeah, like Benjamin, what you were saying, you were saying something about how it's like, um, you're something's being repressed and then like you get this horrible anxiety. And I think that that rings pretty true for me. I think it has a lot to do with this feeling that sometimes you grow up with when you grow up in like a dysfunctional family or a relationally dysfunctional family um, where it's like you, you can sense that something is very wrong. Like something is really off and like, it's not like how other kids, like you watch other kids talk to their parents and stuff and you just feel that something is really wrong. But since you're so young, you don't have the the context or even like really the cognitive ability, I think, to like make sense of what's wrong. So then I think your brain just like latches on to different things, trying to like find out what's wrong because like your body's kind of like screaming at you all the time. Like, this is wrong. Like I, I need help, but you know, your brain is just like latching on to other random things. And I think that's definitely what trans was for me. I think that is, that's what it is for a lot of people because like their brains are so desperately clamoring for something that makes sense. And then like the trans thing comes in and it's like, oh, this makes sense. Just do this. Um, but obviously it's not true. That's, that's excellent that, that you just said that. I, because it, it, it in a way, maybe even at bottom, these kinds of mental illnesses that we ex- we all have experienced in our different ways in the symptomatology, you can think of as the, mental illness is often a way of rationalizing the irrational. It's trying to find a logical explanation for something that you wish to avoid. Um, the truth, the real truth, the real toxic thing in your life, right? Mm-hmm. That you think, oh, well, the toxic thing in my life is that I was born in the wrong body. Or the toxic thing in my life is that I have a chemical imbalance that's genetic and it just makes me crazy or it's this or it's that or it's this or it's that. For me, all of that was to avoid the reality that my mother was actually monstrous, right? Yeah. Abusive and monstrous. For other people, it's going to be, you know, whatever their trauma is. But I think our mental illnesses try to make sense of a nonsensical situation that our emotions are not allowing our intellect to recognize. Josh, did you end up uh, latching onto an ideology of some sort to, uh, you know, to expend uh, your, to to exercise this demon out of you? Um, Something analogous to the trans ideology? Oh, yeah. Uh, Just hardcore leftism, social justice, radical feminism. Okay. What is you know, it about usual, those? Yeah. Well, what is it about those uh, ways of looking at the world and interacting with the world that are an exercise for th- what we're talking about? Because I see, and I don't mean to lump all GCs or gender critical feminists in that at all, but there's a small vocal contingent that is using feminism to exercise trauma, specifically um, male origin. I don't think it's a small trauma. contingent. Um, but you know, we can, we can differ on that. I think it's a very big one. Okay. Um, so what is yes. it about it? That's particularly adept at allowing people to externalize their uh, trauma. That's it. It externalizes blame and it externalizes responsibility. It allows you to find somebody who did a thing, who did a bad thing that made all of the things bad. And if you could merely corral those bad people, 
then everything would be just fine. You don't have to change anything about yourself. You don't have to be more discerning about who your friends are. You don't have to think about things differently. You've identified the bad thing. And in much of modern feminism, men are the bad thing. Maleness is the bad thing. Why was I vulnerable to this? My mother, I was raised in a single single parent household after about the age of eight or nine when my mother kicked my violent stepfather out of the house. But, you know, my, my, my mother, who I describe as having both borderline and narcissistic personality disorders, uh, is in many ways a very typical, screeching, angry, bitter feminist. And not all feminism must be screechy, angry, and bitter. I am not saying that. Um, a lot more of it is screechy, angry, and bitter than lots of feminists want to admit. But it, when you are raised that way, and when you combine that with the fact that, for me, I had to blame everything that was wrong in our family, and a lot was wrong in our family because of my violent stepfather, right? That is true. But I decided that was the only thing that was wrong with my family, that my mother was the savior and that anything my mother had ever done wrong was because a man had made her do it or a man had damaged her and she couldn't do anything but what she had done. And I internalized that and I didn't realize until much later that I had internalized it. Not only did it form my views about other men and their motivations in a way that really dehumanized men, hmm. but I was doing the same thing to myself. It was self-hatred. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I think um, the way that one of the, like the main thing that they always say that they're against is the patriarchy, right? <laughs> it's, it's the patriarchy that, are, that is making me do this. It's the patriarchy that it's making me do that. Um, the patriarchy decides everything. The reason women are so into hookup culture, patriarchy. The reason that some women want to stay home and be moms, patriarchy. There's no agency for women in it at all. Um, and really the stand-in for patriarchy isn't they always say no 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 this is because of like millennia of social development and like all of this like conditioning and blah 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 but really what they're saying is it's men it is the men in my life it is the men around me it is every man i have ever come across yeah. uh it's men overall and and whenever they like use patriarchy as their like as it, it that's that's the cover for it um that's the th like that's the theory they get to spit out to sound intellectual to sound like they know what they're talking about but they're really talking about an abusive ex or an abusive father or just like guys they don't like like limpita you internalized this to a certain extent and how did that change your relationship to men and to yourself as a man I internalized it to a large extent. Um, I was, I was, uh, I was, I, when I was, when I was a kid, I was a little bitch. Um, I was, I was, I was a little bitch. I, I like, 
I was at the bottom of the male hierarchy. I was bad at sports. I was chubby. I had moobs. Um, and I also had like, for a lot of reasons, um, really bad hypochondria. So I thought I was sick all the time. And I was having like, I started having panic attacks when I was like eight years old. Oh, wow. Um, so it was, it was like, I wasn't the, like, I wasn't an ideal boy. Basically I was, I was at the bottom of everything. And cause I was younger and autistic. Like I wasn't emotionally as mature as everyone else. I didn't uh, do male bonding that well. I didn't do female bonding that well either. But um, so I, I just thought that boys were bad from, from that early age. And, and my mom was also like, was, was like a feminist type. She thought that like women needed to like, you know, um, gain more rights and it's, they're always under attack. And she w- would always tell me about how Romania had like zero abortion whatsoever and how it's so great that America does and whatever. Not that she, I don't know whether she got an abortion or not, but she has two kids. So like, I don't know. But um, at any rate, like she, she was also like a, a feminist type, more of a liberal feminist type. But then puberty hit. I started getting that, like, you know, the T rage and, and the libido and everything like that. And I was exposed to porn at like nine years old, which was, and some of it was really violent. And um, in my teen years, I had like male friends show me 4chan too. And some of the stuff that you saw on 4chan was just really, really nasty. And I really didn't want to associate with these guys at all. Um, and it really like, and whenever I saw the girls, it was just like, oh, they're chatting and they're just like, you know, they're not doing any, like, they're not hitting each other. They're not, um, you know, they're not talking about sex in like these really like gross ways. So I thought, like, I just thought that women were better. Um, I just straight up thought women were better. And then once the pop feminism started to like snowball around 2011, 2012, like, I really started to like think, okay, gender nonconformity is the moral decision here. Like I have to be less like a man. I have to do my best to like mm-hmm. suppress these impulses um, and, and try not to be like that. Um, and it got worse when I met my girlfriend too. Um, bec- I, like for, for a lot of reasons, cause she was already into like the, like you know, they always say like, oh, well, the trans side of things is that's liberal feminism. No, my, my ex was a radical feminist. She believed in the whole men, female, male, female um, oppression dynamic. And mm-hmm. it's it's it, it's not about biological sex necessarily, but it's about, you know, gender in general, like masculine traits are oppressive, feminine traits are liberatory or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of reasons, like. I just took her lead on everything because I was so scared. And this also ties into the OCD. I had for years, for literal years, the entire length of my relationship, I had intrusive thoughts that I was raping my girlfriend, even though it was consensual, even though it was. And and sometimes I got like roped into doing stuff in bed that I really didn't want to do that, that would involve some sort of like really domineering role for me that made it worse um especially because we were always talking about how bad men are and men are this and men are that um and then she would turn around and fetishize that and have you act that out in some sometimes yeah interesting okay super typical extremely typical extremely typical once once i started thinking about it more 
like I saw it everywhere and I saw it on Tumblr a lot. The same women that were like writing um, like rape fix, like fan fix about rape um, for their own pornographic reasons. were also talking about how all men are eventually rapists, how heteros- heterosexual sex <laughs> is in itself rape. What, what's going on with that mechanic? I mean, I understand human beings fetishize whatever we call a taboo, right? But w- w- there just seems like it's something really interesting to be fixated on rape. Of Trauma. Trauma. I, I, Helena, you talk about um, the predilections of um, female, uh, young female pornography uh, ingestion <laughs> about the uh, idealizing of the, of the homosexual male relationship as an expression of... Uh, a kind of some sort of acceptable expression of the female desire because they're told that they hate men or they they're told or they have internalized this perception of men as consumers and and dom dominators and so there's a power imbalance no matter what so they're attracted to yeah. that and, uh, so. yeah it's it's so complicated the reason why like straight girls go for gay fanfic is like man we need like a whole like field of study devoted to that because there's just like layers to it um but i think yeah i i think um it is about trauma like the 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 kind of like focus on men being oppressive men being rapists uh men always violating um all male behavior must be interpreted in the least generous lens possible but then you know on the flip side a lot of and i can corroborate what limpita said uh with like you know all the rape fan fiction like that's huge there's a lot of that out there um and obviously you know not everyone is into it but there are a lot of people are um but i also think that it's about control it's about especially when there's like an actual male involved with women in a circle of a, a social circle with women who are like this i really think it's it's kind of about like setting up a situation where it's like you as the male you can't win you're always kind of on the defensive you're always on the losing field if you are too domineering then you're being like a rapist or whatever and if you're not domineering enough then you're you know you're not being uh, you're not doing what the women say, I guess. Um, and so I feel like there's this kind of dynamic and it, it really is, I think a lot of young women who, and I'm sure older ones too, um, who they have been traumatized or they have experienced, you know, some kind of adversity in their life and they're locating that in men and then trying to get back some control by either forming this kind of like weird contradictory caricature of men or actually, you know, putting that onto a man in their life. And usually it's like one of these young boys who usually, you know, a straight boy who doesn't really fit in with other boys, therefore has low self-confidence. And like, I've seen it so many times, like these friend groups where it's like girls and then this like one boy. And like, he's totally just like, like a soy boy. That's like the whipping boy of some sort or. Yeah. Like the whipping boy. I wouldn't, that I wouldn't would be me. I wouldn't say soy boy. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like the whipping boy. And sometimes you have friend groups where it's like the gay best friend and maybe that guy could fill that role too. But I think for some reason the like gay best friends tend to hold their own a little bit better. But um, yeah, when it's like a, a, a mostly female friend group and there's like one guy and he's like not the most masculine guy and he has low self-confidence like man there's just something about like that type of guy that really 
gravitates towards like this type of woman that we're talking yeah. about or young woman that we're talking about. And I've just, yeah, I've seen it. And a lot of the times that that boy ends up identifying as trans, at least in, in what I've seen hmm. both online and in real life. <clears throat> That's that describes my uh, experience in high school perfectly. Um, actually. Um, and, and it transferred over to college too, where because the cult I was in was also mostly women. Um, and like what they would do with me is like, if I showed any dissatisfaction with how I was being treated, or if I like, you know, acted like a man trying to like set my own boundaries or anything like that was seen as a red flag. That was seen as like, Oh, this is, this is a potentially violent person. Yeah. Everything's a red flag. Yeah. yeah. But, whistles. but the second that they, I remember there was this one time where um, I was asked by a black female member of my cult to tell uh, white people in the audience to move to the back row. Um, and they needed me to be standoffish about it. That they would use though, like the assertiveness and like the masculine traits I had, I had to use it in their service. I wasn't allowed to use it for myself. Huh. I wasn't allowed to be my own person with it. I had to be super feminine within the group or else it was a problem. But when push came to shove, they knew I was a man and they used me for that purpose. And it was like that with my friend group. It was like that with my girlfriend. It was, hmm. you know, you, so you're a bitch in the club and a bouncer at the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And oh yeah. And, the- uh, the, oh, the, sorry, Helena. There's no, one, other as- one other aspect of it too is that like, and no one, no one talks about this when you're, when you're that straight guy. Uh, so uh, there's two, two actually two more things. The reason the gay guys tend to hold their own a little bit better is because they actually understand female social dynamics. Straight guys mm-hmm. don't. Um, but the other problem is like there's a lot of sexual harassment that happens within that um that circle like that circle like when you're the only straight guy in a group of girls like you are the guy that you would the easy access guy that people flock to um because you are non-threatening you're totally disarmed you'll do anything for anybody because you don't have any other friends um so they can touch you they can tease you they can um, you know, make passes at you. They can make suggested things. At you. And if you refuse them, suddenly there's a problem in the group. Oh man. This is fascinating. And, and I, there needs to be more talk about this, obviously, because I, you know, until we've had this conversation today, I don't think I really realized that there is this, this dynamic going on. The, the unconfident young straight man in the female group. I always think of it in terms of I was always the gay guy in the female group. And I thought that that was how that was how that dynamic came out. But th- there is apparently a whole other thing out there. Um, you're not the only one, Limpita, but this I, is fascinating. I, pardon me. There was this uh, kind of this cheesy. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen, but it's just you can't see it. There's this cheesy uh, infographic that came up in my timeline and I kind of mocked it on Twitter and it kind of got some traction. But it it's this picture of this guy with kind of a belly. It's not that ripped or anything. Very passive looking guy. No, no eyes, no face, but just kind of a picture of him. And then it, the text reads. How to recognize an actual gender non-conforming man. Oh, this one. One, doesn't use violence, threats, or intimidation against women. 
So there's clearly, but you can use it against men. Yeah. Two, doesn't use porn, stripping, or prostitution. So basically has a, I would think, a respectful uh, relationship to sexuality. But there's something going on there where they want him to not really have a sexuality. I, I kind of sense that. Three, doesn't support practice BDSM or any kind of domineering sex. I think that it might Any be kind of domineering sex. Except for the one on that they demand. demand and ask for. Yeah. Um, four doesn't use slurs like the B word, the C word, the S L. Yeah, bitch, C word, <laughs> YouTube will censor that slut or other oh, misogynistic sorry. language. And five treats women and girls like human beings, equal in value to himself. And I that it just ticked me off because that's not it. That's just somebody who lacks self control or is you know that you can control. That has nothing to do with being a gender non-conforming man. That's just a, a poor idea of what it is to be a man. That's just this, a eunuch. That is literally this is, a eunuch. This is, this can be summed up very, very simply. The, this kind of feminist imag- imagination of what male characteristics are, here's the mistake they're making. These are not male typical characteristics the the negative ones that they list those are narcissistic and personality disordered typical characteristics they are abuser typical characteristics Hmm. not male not just Mm. how men are how abusive men are i didn't realize that until recently but to me Hmm. that's the entire thing it turns all on that yeah, and the, and then the the framing of that as uh, like that's gender conformity is to be an abuser. Like that's that's yes. the that's the insinuation. Yeah. I try I, I joked about it so people didn't get what I was talking about. Um, but still, um, I so I can see that 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 attitude is supported in kind of pop feminism. So I can see how young men that are in the position that we're saying whether they're gay or straight and end up in that kind of controlled uh, environment with the females. Um, or having to live out this kind of double life or not being able to not being able to develop um, masculine characteristics or to really own their own power, their own agency, and then learn how to manage that kind of force, that kind of, you know, libido and uh, like and your anger and all that stuff. Um, you can't really develop it because it's completely subverted to the, the control of the group. One thing that happened to me before I was on hormones and that kind of like killed my testosterone and changed the way that I thought for a while. Like when I was still identifying as trans before hormones, I like, I was very outwardly passive and trying to be non-threatening and trying to like, really like keep from doing anything masculine, like really trying to kill those behaviors in front of other people. And all that pent up anger I had and all that like sadness at how I was being treated, um, especially the mob tactics, like the triangulation that Josh mentioned, that was constant. Um, Like I just directed all of it at myself because I thought that to be mad at a woman for saying something fucked up meant that I was bound to be an abuser somehow. So it just, it just all went inward. Um, and I did a lot of things to like hurt myself or try to put myself in danger because I thought it meant that I wasn't worth being alive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bummer, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah. I shot everybody up with well, that. It's <laughs> familiar. Yeah, I I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking like, I'm obviously the only woman here, but I can completely relate to this in terms of other, you know, axes of oppression or whatever. Probably the biggest one in my life has been race. Like, I I just remember, you know, especially online. And I think, you know, that's one thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, some of these like, gen x or like boomer feminists who like they they're unwilling to hear what someone like limpita has to say even if they don't like the way that he says it um they're just completely unwilling to entertain the idea that feminism plays any role whatsoever in young men you know trying to not be men um i think what they don't understand is that like this is more of a phenomenon that has to do with like the political ideologies that have been popularized online and in the universities. And that it, despite the fact that it's not maybe how the entire culture thinks, even though like it's progressively becoming more and more like the entire culture, um, that it is something that's still, you know, extremely pervasive in a lot of young people's lives and it will completely control the social dynamics in your life if you're under the age of maybe 30 but even more like 25 or increasingly now it's like it's more and more younger but yeah it's like it might sound kind of crazy to a feminist being like oh like you know why can't you just use your male privilege to get out of that situation or whatever like i don't know Hmm. what they think but um you know I don't think they understand like how insanely pervasive these ideas about privilege and oppression are and how they're being used by extremely abusive and manipulative people to just like completely control the subject that they're trying to control. Well, you, you can see that in the intersectional cascade when the women get together, like, I'm, I'm not to pick on feminism. But if, let's say, there's a a feminist group that gets together, you know, and they're doing their thing. This happened actually when Wolf came, Megan Murphy came um, to Seattle and they had their event. And the trans rights activists like went after the women, uh, the the feminists. So they got to, you know, explain how they're under assault. You know, the, the, the trans rights activists were accusing the feminists of trying to erase their existence and then being, you know, terrible to the women so the women are like see this is the patriarchy and then the trans rights activists are like see this is the patriarchy so everybody's yelling about the patriarchy um and then when they had the event and there was a bunch of speakers and they were trying to lay down their case about gender critical radical feminism and um things of that sort they they had a q a and then somebody comes up and starts complaining that there's no black women on the panel it's like well, okay now we're just listening to a bunch of white white women you know and like you guys aren't representing it just the the entire structure you can see is constantly destabilized so it's just a lazy susan of who gets to have to go through a signal of giving up your power and not it is no longer about exercising power wisely it's about constantly relinquishing or taking back power right it's this this kind of this seeding of power or exerting of power and not really doing anything productive it doesn't seem like or it can unless there is a threat a lot of political act activity doesn't really actually work like you need to kind of have a, th- a threat in order for certain forms of feminism to 
to really work. And you see kind of like a rebirth of feminism because they have this uh, this transgender ideology that they're now fighting. So so a lot of those tactics come back up, but they need that constant. And I'm not just talking. I'm not just talking about feminism. I'm talking about any sort of activism at all, any sort of anti-oppression maneuver. It needs to manufacture the oppression or find the oppression or have the oppression in order for it to function and as keep a it going and make sure that the embers don't burn out ever 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 yeah but mm. but people such as limpita uh, and other people who are kind of doing uh get caught up in this for one reason or another i see that um they are not being able to develop as full human beings they're, they're actually being kind of uh, gelded uh, literally in some cases but figuratively in others and not really being able to Go through process all your trauma correctly and then actually start making your way towards being a good human being, a good adult. And I think being becoming a man, I think that I, I'm a gender positivist, I'm not a gender critical. I think that there should be some sort of ideal masculinity that we all don't have to manifest. It's not compulsory, but there should be the an idea on offer for young men of this is what a good man is. And it's not some man who doesn't beat up a woman. That's not a good man. Like that's just the that's a describing that's not a bad man. Like yeah. that, that's just a, not a bad man. So I'm wondering, Lampita, if you've uh, if that even sounds like something that is positive to you, if you've going through and shedding all of the negative experiences with feminism, if you kind of have an idea of the man or the masculine that you can, you know. Uh, use in order to develop yourself and that part of yourself more or if gender is completely a fiction for you um well i've stopped believing in so i'm not like the way i'll put it is i only think sex is real i only think sex is real i think talking about gender as a social construct i don't believe in that frame i think the all the differences that we see socially between the sexes are because of how the sexes work. I don't like, it's not that I'm gender critical in the sense, in the way that the feminists are, where they say gender is some sort of patriarchal construct. That's just, you know, made up or whatever. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not like a gender positivist in this, uh, in the same way you are, where it's like, well, there are positive aspects to both sexes and, and, you know stereotypes about them like the stereotypes exist because the differences exist and i don't like the stereotypes that we're told now are men and women or or that what a trans person is and whatever like that's i think of that as like deliberate social engineering and i think the the stereotypes the the differences that we notice ourselves speak for themselves I don't think that there needs to be any sort of like middle layer between um, what our sex actually is and how we perceive it. I think it's just, it's just real. But in, um, in, in sloughing off or shedding the feminist ideology and the transgender ideology, uh, is there any sort of mental conceptual framework that you have to allow yourself to grow and to deal with these uh, sex-based characteristics that manifest socially i have just like that's how i've dealt with it is just telling myself it's real and okay. like there some sometimes like detransitioners talk about like how they got over um the, like here's the thing like when it came to getting over ocd 
when it came to getting over PTSD, PTSD, I actually did some like intensive therapy for, so that's maybe a little different, but um, like OCD, body dysmorphia, eating problems, all of this, all I did really was just accept that this is how I am. Like, that's all I really did. And it was just a decision like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need to change anything else. I need to change my lifestyle because it's unhealthy, but I don't need to change the things about myself that are already there. I can change the way that I talk to other people. I can change like how I maneuver around, but I can listen to my own body. I can listen to my own instincts and just trust them because I've been right before and everything that has led me off the right path has been me trying to dull those things. And that's, that's how I managed to, to accept masculinity and, and embrace being a man and, and everything like that. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that you need necessarily, like, I don't believe in the whole representation thing either. I think the only reason that like, I think men need role models, but they need to be role models that are actually like important in their lives in some way. Having a, a truly masculine, like superhero character or something is not going to help. Um, it's not like, it doesn't help to talk about that stuff in, in history classes. It doesn't help to talk about that stuff nope. in anything. <laughs> you need people that actually matter to you in your own life that are there for you, that will support you, that you can learn from. Um, that's really how you learn how to be a man or a woman is through the people that you're actually like, that, that actually love you and that you love as well. It's not through these images that, that are just being pumped at you. That's a really good point. And that makes me think about how the way that, you know, family size has really decreased uh, to the point where a lot of people are living with themselves, their two parents, and maybe a sibling or two. Um, but they don't have, you know, a ton of aunts and uncles and grandparents to be all sorts of different kinds of role models and also be all sorts of different kinds of relationships. So it's like, if you don't have a good relationship with your parents, you're kind of screwed. Like you don't have that aunt a lot of people don't have like that aunt who either lives with you or lives really close by or whatever. Like um, growing up, my family lived hours and hours and hours and hours away from anybody who was related to us. So I think that when you don't have like that kind of like, you know, large kind of variety of people who are close to you and related to you that you can look up to and either emulate or see how they're causing problems in their life then I think you you run into a lot of these issues where people grow up like not really knowing how to grow up really hmm. if they don't have a stellar example in their parents. I wonder if if uh, if the social justice ideology broadly construed that is manifested in certain forms of feminism and transgender ideology, if uh, there's something about that that gives you a pickup family, if there's something adaptive about that kind of activism or changing of the world or the framework of fighting oppression on one level or another kind of takes the role of not having a family by making you feel or simulating a closeness, solidarity, they call it, which I guess is the form of, of intimacy, but it's kind of a group intimacy. I've, I've never really liked that solidarity thing. That's always kind of made, felt culty to me or creepy 
to me. But I, we could go along the route of, you know, there's Tumblr, Aunt Tumblr. You don't have any extended family, but you do have Aunt Tumblr and Uncle Reddit, you know, to like teach you how to be a good person, right? Or there, there's a social justice ideology where you can just really immediately have meaningful, impactful relationships, or at least the you know simulation of meaningful, impactful relationships. And, and then the those social... two things just dovetail really intensely. Social justice ideology is on Tumblr and Uncle Reddit. Well, they took over. Reddit used to be kind of kind of cool, uh, but then yeah, uh, something I remember, happened. Post burn. I remember during our our first like interview, I mentioned that when I was like in fifth grade, I thought I was edgy for using Reddit, and everybody was roasting me in the comments, <laughs> being like, "Oh, Reddit's edgy." It was in two thousand seven. It was. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch people die on there in two thousand seven. Yeah. I'm sorry, God. I, I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I do have a heart out. I got to leave the conversation and and um, go pick somebody up. So, okay. Well, uh, I'm do sorry. You have to ten have minutes, to... or do you need to go right now? I do need to go. Yeah. Okay. Closing um, remarks, then, Josh. Closing remarks is that we need to do this again because um, I, I I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to hear the rest of, uh, of of what you say. Well, I will hear it in the recording, but. Um, this is great conversation. I hope we actually can do it again because I think there's a million different things we could go into. So, yeah, thanks, let's guys. do it. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Have a good night. Thank Thank you. To meet Josh. you. Okay. You, t- you two hash it out now. <laughs> okay. Time to confront him about his misogyny. Oh. Oh, well, that happened last <laughs> night. That happened. Oh, you guys I saw it. <laughs> yeah, happened? explain that. <laughs> So I like, I love I just, it when people try to keep, hold you accountable on freaking Twitter. Maybe <laughs> they happen in real life. It's like, you can't hold me accountable. Like, oh, we're going to hold Benjamin Boyce accountable. Like, fuck you. What are you talking about? So let's hear your accountability story. So like, I don't know. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm in bed. I'm bored. I can't sleep because I had like four cups of coffee. Uh, I, I just see this space pop up in the app that's like, uh post space debrief or whatever and some of the icons are from from the one from um upper hand mars's space that we we had like literally the day before so i just i'd click it i join um i'm curious what what's there and then immediately the host is like oh limpida's here we have questions to like ask you because uh, we were just like so confused about like some of the stuff you said you got suckered into a struggle session <laughs> I did. I did. It was literally a struggle session. The first question that was asked of me was, um, so what role did porn play in your transition? Um, and I answered, honestly, I was like, well, I was supposed to porn at nine and it scared the fuck out of me and, uh, scarred me. And I, you know, I didn't really, I was never into any of the like AGP porn and none of the sissy fetish stuff that like most, like some people talk about. Um, it was like pretty standard fare, I guess, but like, and, and I don't think it had much to do with the transition at all, if I'm being real. Um, and they were sort of taken aback by that. And they asked another question that was like, what, like, like, uh, how did porn uh, affect your view of what women were? And I was like, I think my, I think the women in my life affected my vision of what a woman was more than porn did. Um, and they just like, they didn't like any of my answers, especially once they started talking about like feminism, like asking me questions, like, why do you think radical feminism like started 
trans. And I start trying to answer and then immediately someone tries to cut me off and I just shout over them like, no, 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 shut up. Um, the guy hosting it couldn't host the space at all. He just, he would ask a question and then ramble on about why he was asking it until at one point I was just like, just answer the, just ask the question, ask the fucking question. I'm right here. Like, um, a bunch of people had their hands up. One of them was literally like a uterus icon, um, which like, I mean, good for you, girl, but, um, you know, I can tell that you're not jazz that I'm here. One woman like cut me off in the middle of something I was saying to say like, I am so furious at this person right now. I can't believe he can't even define what a woman is. <laughs> like, what? No one asked me that. First of all, second of all, like, do you like do you even know who i am <laughs> like, not to be like that but like, like there really? the yeah moderation needs to be key I, there there was some tools being developed on clubhouse when you know before twitter started the spaces but i just see that that without moderation this is just a bunch of midwits just just repeating the lines it's just everybody's just you have your script you repeat the lines and if anything doesn't align with that you just have to force it into the category in order for you to say the lines at it and it's just doesn't go anywhere and you don't get any good content yeah ultimately it's the only thing i care about i i what made me shut the whole thing off was when uh they insinuated that the reason i wasn't understanding the difference between different kinds of feminism was because i'm autistic and i'm showing black and white thinking and i'm just lumping all feminists in together and i'm like explicitly like no there it's the same it's just the same well, what's, shit. The, I don't know what's what your core you contention then or, or like a few of your contentions about feminism broadly speaking uh patriarchy isn't real um men and women are inherently unequal so vying for equality in any sense kind of doesn't make sense um and not to say that like like there is some sort of hierarchy i subscribe to it's just that because we're different we're inherently unequal um hmm. and Overall, like I just, I just see it as, and this is where the anti-leftist Marxist stuff comes in. Is it is a it is a core faction within the left. Um, they are progressives, so they they believe in progress at any, you know, at, at any cost. Um, they will always vote Democrat, pretty much. That like the Roe v. Wade thing kind of like proved that. Um, it like. My, my core contention with it isn't, isn't that the ideology itself is stupid because there are a lot of stupid ideologies out there. My contention with it is that like they have taken over the D trans thing because they don't want conservatives to have it. And I would rather conservatives had it. Okay. That's a interesting claim. What would be uh, better about conservative management of the D trans <laughs> phenomenon? Um, the better part of it, uh really just am i can you still hear me okay sorry yeah. i thought i pulled it up um the better like what would make the conservative management of it like okay the way that it's shaking out a lot of feminists are sort of joining the conservative faction just because republicans are desperate to win because the democrats keep doing what they do um but like i i would prefer a like a harder right turn on this stuff because pretty much everything that the left has done for pretty much forever. But if we're talking American politics, like for the last 60 years, since the sixties, like all of it has led to now. 
basically. Like there's been a continuous like jump 30 years into the future, then a Republican wins and we're 10 years back. But it's not like there's there's So you're no talking about sexual revolution? I mean, let's let's draw yeah. like a specific line in the sand. Sexual revolution has led somehow through one way or another to now. Yeah. To sexual um, politics. No, popular sexual politics, including it, transgenderism. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. Um, but the other reason I would prefer conservatives is just because they like have, they, they, I don't know how to phrase it. They try to stop the progress at a certain point. They try to slow it down at least. And the problem with the progress is where we're going now is get in the pot, eat the bugs. And if you slow that down, even just a little bit, like it's better than if we just like jump off the cliff and into that. It's, I think it's coming anyway. I don't, I don't think that it will stop. I think Republicans are going to be fine with it happening if it means that they win elections again. Um, but like, I would rather not continue towards total liberation, towards total equality. I, I just, I don't see those. I, I just see them as empty values um, that allow for this kind of like very high level top down political maneuvering. So to, to, to attempt to distill that, what you see manifesting in feminism is basically a form of leftism, which is about uh, equality through central control. Yeah. And you have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. Um, it's like if I, okay, I'm going to sound like a crazy communist if I, if I use the real language that I would use. No, I, I want to hear a communist take okay. down uh, leftism. Um, the left is the, so the left wing, the, the leftists are the left wing of capital. The right are the right wing of capital. The left are the vanguard of the bourgeoisie. They are the revolutionaries of the bourgeois. They are carryovers from when the bourgeoisie were actually revolutionary during the feudal period when feudalism was collapsing. The conservatives are the rear guard. They restabilize everything that the leftists uh, destroy. And they do it in service of capital. Um, I don't like that capital is in control of things. I don't, I, because like this, this system requires that constant creative destruction, so to speak, you need in order to generate economic growth indefinitely, you need to constantly level everything to the ground and then rebuild it. Cause that's the only way that you continue to extract profit off of workers. I'm not like, I'm not a political communist. I don't do activism. I don't do anything about this. It's just critique. The reason it's just critique is because I'm a petite bourgeois manager, so my interests technically should align with the left. But because of everything that I've been through and how I've seen this play out and how ridiculous it all seems to me, I want absolutely nothing to do with it. I would rather, like, the only reason I would align with a conservative cause at all is because it, at the very least, doesn't try to smash everything all at once. There's a lot there. I want to hear Helena's thoughts on this. Um, I don't know about all the economic stuff, but um, the way I see it is that 
the the progressive, or I guess my contention with feminism, we'll say, um, is that at this point, I think it has completely diverged from reality. And I think that began not only with the sexual revolution, but with the conceptualization of this dichotomy between there's biology and social construction. And these two things are separate. And I think that that's a really big problem. And that is undergirding or underpinning everything that we've seen up until this point. And that's where I think like, that's what I see Limpita's talking about when he says radical feminism has played a role in the development of gender ideology, because it invented this concept that there's biology and there's social construction and the social construction is bad and we just need to throw it all away. And I think that when people are, are raised with those ideas, first of all, I think that's completely wrong. I think that there's the way I think about it is kind of like you can see gender like language. OK, so different cultures on the surfaces, on the surfaces, their languages sound different. Like the word for water bottle in English is not the same word as the word for water bottle in Mandarin. They sound very different, but all of these languages have the same kind of like structure under them that does come from, you know, actual biological neurological underpinnings in our brain that have evolved over years to give us the capability to form complex social societies and gender does a very similar thing and so i think that when you have a society that has fully swallowed this idea that there's biology and then there's social construction they have nothing to do with each other and the social construction is bad and it needs to be thrown away that leaves people disconnected with themselves, unable to understand themselves, confused, lost, untethered. And that is what leads to the gender ideology. Gender ideology to me is not so much a patriarchal backlash against feminism, but it's people who have accepted the core tenets of feminism, trying to make sense of themselves in a way that is kind of like taken these ideas of feminism and, and like, yes, gone completely off left field. And now they're butting heads with each other. Hmm. But at the end of the day, I really see it as people trying to make sense of where they belong in the society in a society where these things we call gender, like they are very real. It's not something we can just demonize and toss away. So it is important to people, but it's been made verboten to actually have like a, just a, a realistic and honest look at it. And you see that, you know, when it, when it comes to like what you say, Benjamin, you say you're a, a gender positivist and you can give like a very, um, eloquent, thoughtful explanation for why you think that. But there are so many people, and it's not just the small, you know, radical feminists on Twitter. It's, I would say that many people in our society would immediately kind of be like triggered that what you're saying is like, oh, you think gender stereotypes are good. Like gender stereotypes are what leads women to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. That's bad. Yeah. And so like, I think people have really lost the capability to actually reckon with our reality, the reality of our bodies, the realities of uh, being a complex social species. Mm -hmm. And I think what's behind that is these core ideas of feminism. Um, and that's my beef with it. Limpita, I want to go back to what you were saying um, when you uh, responded to my gender positivity uh, rant uh, was about just accepting who you are as who you are and going through the process of just 
just just radical acceptance of, of who you are. And I think radical acceptance has some sort of weird culty thing going on. I just mean to like just really deeply accept yourself and you don't thing. need you don't need the idea of the masculine. You don't need these images. And in fact, these images are not as important as people actually acting that out in your direct experience and in your life. My, my back to that is that once we want to create art or culture or to uh, communicate across time, we need to package things inside of images, inside of stories. And then we also attending to those stories. And let's just say gender is a story that, that uh, allows for society to manage the relationship between the sexes over time to deal with the consequences of that, which is hum more human beings, and then perpetuate that. Um, and not only is gender a story, but you also need to understand how to read the story and how to interpret the story. And a lot of what I see wrong in a lot of activism, and I'll, well, just because we're going to pick on feminism, but I don't mean to pick on feminism, is just a, a bad reading or like an inability to read um, and to interpret what a gender role would be and how it could be good. <coughs> in and of itself or bad in and of itself, or how could it, it could be interpreted uh, lazily or poorly or, or wisely. And so I, I think that gender is still operating, but you're just because you, you got swept up into these bad ideas that you don't need it, it right now. You don't need to communicate that. You just need to be honest with yourself and, and develop and, and allow those things to happen. But I would probably say that in 20 years, if you want to communicate like your journey, you'll probably have some sort of rough idea of a man that you'll, you'll be working with um, just to communicate it. If you ever end up going to literature, because I just think that's how we, we express ourselves. And we're just, we don't, we're not good readers anymore. And the social construction thing that you're saying about Helen is just, we're just going to throw the Bible, we're going to throw the book away and start over mm -hmm. again. We're just going to throw the book away and start over again. And you don't understand what yeah. you're throwing away when you're throwing away the book because you're, you're throwing your, away your ability to have a connection to the past, but also to read the past and to read the social dynamics. And so, like, I, I keep on saying this, if we destroy gender tonight, it'll be, it'll be reinvented by tomorrow at noon. It's just, we're going to have to reinvent it and we're going to lose a lot of the social cues and um and and these things are subjective and variable depending on the culture and stuff but there's so much rich and necessary behavioral management in order for the males and the females especially stranger males and females to orchestrate positively together and that would be basically the the usefulness of of gender uh, as a as a concept you're already seeing it. I mean, like the relationship between men and women, especially in like the Zoomers is completely discombobulated. Oh, really? And you will you will see this if you ever dare to have a hot take on Twitter about dating apps, because okay. everybody oh, yeah. who has been scorned, like comes out of the woodworks and just like is throwing all this stuff. And it's just so clear how like people like i just don't think it's normal the degree to which people misunderstand each other and are you know just assuming a, a defensive but also offensive position with the opposite sex and, are you kind and, of sub, are you subtweeting that uh, was it melissa chen or uh, no it was sarah haters uh, comment that she posted yesterday about men don't realize how they treat attractive women much better than unattractive women uh, and then a bunch no. of men are like well women don't understand that they treat men with resources differently than yeah uh i'm not responding to that directly it's it's actually i have made the mistake i've, I've now set a rule for myself that i am not allowed to talk about dating apps on twitter um because it's so just weird. always turns into such a shit storm but i have to figure out what's going on there 
Well, I mean, the discourse that I always get involved in is because there's this graph of OkCupid and it's like a study that they did or something where it's like men uh, rate more women in like medium attractiveness than they do in the top levels of attractiveness or the lowest levels. I think it's something like the, the distribution for male ratings is more equal, whereas women either rate someone very, very attractive or like not attractive at all. Hmm. And there's like... Or, or no, I think it's actually the majority of men rated by women are unattractive on dating apps. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what yeah. it is. Um, and like a lot of, you know, men kind of use this as evidence for like, oh, you'll never succeed with a woman. Just give up. Like, don't, you know, don't even try because women, they only want to date the top 0.0001% of absolute Hyper chats. Hypergamy, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm always saying like, the dating apps are just not a good reflection of like how women are in real life. And I, I understand that there's kind of like a difference between like what women say they want versus what they actually go for. I understand that. But I also, it's like, you come on, like you can't look at like, you can't go to like a mall and just observe the couples there and think that like every woman there is only with like the top, like 1% of like shredded Chad billionaires. Like, no, like there's plenty of just normal couples but it's like, yeah, it, it's just a mess and, and people get really heated. And I understand why people are really heated. People are really hurt. And it's like trying to explain to like a, a early 20s person that like the dating apps are bad for you. It's just it doesn't hmm. like dating apps. People, literally, I mean, they make money off the misery. Off the misery. Exactly. Exactly. How the exactly. They want you to be on it as long as possible. They don't you want you to actually to find a relationship. Yeah, so they will intentionally put you with people that you, like, demographically are not compatible with. Yeah, and it completely, it warps your brain if you're a man or if you're a woman. Like, I, like the, the, the whole thing is just, like, antithetical to, like, how people experience attraction. Mm. It, it's just a hot mess. But um, I think that is, like, in a, in a microcosm of, like, how messed up the relationships between men and women are right now. And yeah, uh, and not to mention anything about the abortion debate or, or um, contraception or the sexual revolution. There's just there's so much, so much uh, that is not being represented and uh, taken into account by the younger people. We we've really betrayed your generation by not by by liberating ourselves so much that we didn't pass on any kind of like you might want to be careful about that or there's these things you might want to not just engage with sex with strangers every weekend it's not really liberatory and uh it, it's it's damaging to the souls of men and women alike you know but uh yeah. i i think like i don't want it to be like boomer bashing is something that's like fun sometimes but it's not <laughs> i don't think it's an adequate critique um yeah. because and this is to bring in the whole marxist framework again is like those massive social changes that happened after the 60s that are still going on right now the like huge disruption that we're seeing between the generations like those things have to happen in order for the groundwork for the next economic stage to be laid um hmm. and they also happen in reaction to changes in the economic foundation uh, it's it's downstream. It's economic. Then it's political. Then it's social. Um, 
are you are you supposing like the great reset or like a completely new post-capitalist system that's actually um no no it's all capitalism it's all all capitalism but um i'm not saying specifically the great reset either but that's part of it too like that's that's why some of this stuff the transhumanism the um like abolishing the family and things like that like that stuff is necessary in order to make people more amenable to um massive changes in their way of life like to dissolve social bonds as much as possible so that you are a pure individual who will take whatever is coming your way um and that has Hmm. that has been the role of the left historically whereas the right comes up in the back and says okay these are the new social bonds that we need for this generation Hmm. uh, in order to keep the system as it currently functions going and then it just happens cyclically. It just keeps it push and pull, really push and pull. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting into conservatism, and uh, it's there's some interesting thoughts about it. I'm really new to it, um, but I'm I'm already kind of wary. I'm like, you're not solving your pro- our problems. You're not offering a solution. You're just slowing everything down. Like like you can't stop the progress, or can you? So and then when you bring up conservatism as an answer, then you do have to contend with people misinterpreting gender roles and forcing compulsory forcing of gender roles is not what I'm advocating for. That's a bad reading, yeah. but that's the thing that you run in with the right. The right will um, tend toward the really hard reactionary movement, um, which would be a restriction of freedom. But to what extent society needs that is an open question. You know, if if we if we're messing up so bad now in, in liberation, going well, I back think, to I think I, I, here's I the thing. Like it, I but... think I think the concept of liberation as we've as we understand it from from the 2020 United States post 60s thing. Like I think it's a misnomer to call it liberation because it's not. Maybe it's not a misnomer, but I think it's just useless because like. You once you liberate yourself from something, you create new obligations. So when you when you are liberated from the family, what do you have to do now? Like you still have to like exist in the world. You still have social ties. You still have economic ties. You still got to do stuff. Um, you're not actually liberated. You're just like you just like take, taking yourself out of one place and put yourself in a different one. Um, I don't think like. And, and that's also forceful. That, that's violent. That happens violently. That happens through political force. That happens sometimes through physical force. Um, the, the rights, ex- like not excuse, but justification for enforcing gender roles and enforcing like social roles and hierarchies is that not having a solid concept of where you are in the world because you're constantly being pulled here and there uh, the conservative impulse is to try to keep things stable Um, and sometimes that stability requires restriction of liberty liberty quote-unquote restriction of some level of individualism um, so that you not necessarily restriction of individualism but restriction on like what you take for granted as liberty right Um, but even within those like more restrictive systems, you still have freedoms. You still get to do things as a human being that you're free to do. Um, 
so I don't like that's one reason why I don't like the whole like total liberation or liberation mindset of like okay well we've been liberated why do we have to go back or whatever like first of all there is no going back that's not possible um and secondly like you still have these obligations but who are your obligations to and why are you why are you carrying them out in the first place mm-hmm. um and is it really liberation if someone else is doing it for you um so that's yeah that's my that's my general critique of of that we should i i'm sorry we, we need to wrap up i felt like this is like one tenth of the conversation that we uh, were having um because let's great, do just though. like a let's do like a cheeky live stream sometime soon just yeah. like just get josh back on here and continue railing against the feminists <laughs> 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 Well, plug your works um, so people can find your works. Lampita, you got your Substack going on with your crazy, yes, I do. crazy it's thoughts. A, <laughs> it's called Sinden de Moinis which means holding hands with ghosts. The link is s t r i g o i dot substack dot com. Hmm. And I'm do you at, speak uh, Romanian? Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Um, cool. And my uh, Twitter is at American Dog 1998 because the old one got nuked. Uh, I also have a Substack. Um, mine is just my Twitter at dot Substack dot com. And that will be in the description because uh, yeah, I that'll can't be in the description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, say goodbye to the audience. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>